Stand by. We'll be on the air in 15 seconds, Mr. Wells. Yes, I know. Stand by, everybody. Starlight, star bright, first star I see tonight. I wish I may. I wish I might. I wish you'd get my wish tonight. Hi, you, Mr. Wells. Who's that? Me, Jiminy Cricket. Uh, what's that, Mr. Wells? I don't know. I guess I was just talking to myself. Hello, Mr. Wells. Say, who are you anyway? Where are you? Well, I'm right here by your side from now on. I'm your conscience. Look here, aren't you Jiminy Cricket from Walt Disney? That's right. Well, what are you doing away from Pinocchio? Well, he doesn't need me anymore, but you do, Mr. Wells. Somebody's got to keep you out of trouble. We can't have you scaring the whole country again for one thing and for another. All right, Mr. Wells. Well, here we go. Go away, Good evening. This is Orson Wells. And this is the first of a new radio series brought to you with the compliments of our sponsor, Lady Esther. Tonight it's our plan... Now, don't do too much talking. We of the Mercury Theater... Get on with the show. Ladies and gentlemen, I apologize for this interruption. Do something about it. I'm sitting right here on your shoulder. No, no, Mr. Wells. On the other one. Hey, you're doing fine. Just keep it brief and get on with it. All right, all right. Well, let's start off with a short story by Saki called Threadney Vashtar. Conradin was ten years old, and the doctor said he wouldn't live another five years. I understand perfectly, doctor. And you may be sure, as a child guardian, that I shall see that Conradin does nothing that is not beneficial to his health. Conradin hated his guardian. Conradin? How many times have I told you not to walk near the pool? Conradin? You are not to pick the roses. Conradin? It's time for you to come in for your syrup. And so passed year after year. One of these days, Conradin supposed the doctor would be proved right and he would die. But meanwhile, there was an oasis in the desert of his loneliness and boredom. This was a diffused tool shed in a forgotten corner of the lower garden. There, Conradin found a haven. He peopled it with ghosts, with phantoms from his books and from his dreams. And the tool shed boasted two inmates of flesh and blood. In one corner lived a chicken, a ragged plumaged old hen, on which the boy lavished an affection that had scarcely another outlet. And further back in the gloom, to the large hutch fronted with iron bars. This was the abode of a very large polecat ferret, which a friendly butcher boy had once smuggled into Encajanor. Conradin was dreadfully afraid of the light, evil, sharp-fanged beast. But it was his most treasured possession. The very presence of so dangerous an animal in the tool shed was a secret and fearful joy to be kept scrupulously from the knowledge of the woman, as he privately dubbed his guardian. And one day, out of heaven knows what material, he spun the beast a wonderful name. Threadney Vashtar. Threadney Vashtar, the great ferret. From that moment, it grew into a god and a religion. Every Thursday, in the dim and musty silence of the tool shed, he worshipped with mystic and elaborate ceremonial before the wooden hutch. And there was a great festival. On one occasion, when his guardian, Mrs. de Rupp, suffered from a painful toothache for three days, Conradin kept up the festival during her entire illness and almost persuaded himself that Threadney Vashtar was personally responsible for the toothache. What on earth do you suppose the child got in that old tool shed, Matilda? I'm sure, ma'am, I don't know. Maybe it's the hen. The hen? Yes, ma'am. It took up living in the shed about two years ago. Master Conradin's taken a liking to it, ma'am. Oh, indeed. Well, we shall look into that. It's not good for him to be puffing about there in all weathers. You go down and get it, Matilda, and get rid of it. Oh, but ma'am, my... You will do as I say. But, ma'am, I don't much like going into that shed. There's something peculiar about it. Nonsense. Merely open the door and the hen will come out. They always do. You won't need to go in at all. Very well, Just as you say. Oh, and Matilda, in case Master Conradin's quite upset, we'd better have toast for tea. He's very fond of toast. Of course, it's bad for him, but just this once. And maybe a little preserve, huh? The toast will be quite sufficient, Matilda. 
And then at tea the next day, she told him. It isn't good for you, Conradin, to brood about in that musty tool shed. So I was forced to get rid of the hen. You what? I got rid of the hen. Matilda caught it this morning and sold it to the butcher. Oh. Well? Well? Aren't you ready to say something? What is there to say? And you're not eating your toast? No. I thought you particularly liked toast. I like it sometimes. And in the shed that evening, there was an innovation in the worship of the Hutch God. Conradin had been wont to chant his praises. Now he asked a boon. Do one thing for me, Shredney Vashtar. That one thing was not specified, but the ferret was a god, so he must know. Choking back a sob as he looked at the other empty corner, Conradin went back to the world he so hated. Every night in the welcome darkness of his bedroom, and every evening in the dusk of the tool shed, Conradin's bitter litany went up. Do one thing for me, Shredney Vashtar. Do one thing for me. Mrs. DeRock noticed that the visits to the shed did not cease. Conradin, what else are you keeping in that hut? Answer me, Conradin. Very well. I shall find out for myself. I believe it's guinea pigs. I'll have them all cleared out at once. No, on the contrary, I shall do it myself. Then I shall be quite certain that it's done. And the woman immediately marched down to the shed to find out what she could find. It was a cold afternoon, and Conradin had been told to keep the house. From the furthest window of the dining room, he could just see the door to the tool shed. He saw the woman enter, and he knew that soon she would come out with that first smile on her face that he loathed so much. And in an hour, the gardener would carry away his wonderful god. She would have triumphed again. Suddenly, Vashtar went forth. His socks were red socks. And his teeth were white. His enemies called for peace. But he brought them dead. Suddenly, Vashtar, the beautiful. Then suddenly, he stopped his chanting and drew closer to the window. The door of the shed still stood ajar, and the minutes were slipping by. Then Matilda came in to lay the table for tea, and still Conradin stood and waited. Redney Vashtar went forth. Thoughts were red thoughts, and his teeth were white. And then the boy stopped. Brought from the doorway of the shed came a long, low, yellow and brown beast, with eyes blinking at the waning light, and dark, wet stains around the fur of his jaws and throat. He made his way across the garden and disappeared into the shrubbery. Tea is ready, Master Conradin. Where's the mistress? She went down to the shed some time ago. I shall call her. You better wait for your tea till I fetch her. But no sooner had she left the room than Conradin calmly buttered a piece of toast with much butter and began to eat it with slow enjoyment. Ladies and gentlemen, we started off our first show of this new series for Lady Esther with Saki's 
eeriest little legend, Fredney Vostar. And for this, we were lucky enough to be able to star Blanche Jurka in the role of Mrs. DeRupp, a name so eminent, needs nothing added to it. Conradin was Conrad Binion. Matilda was Miss Brenda Forbes, who's a Mercury actress from way back and will continue to be as long as we have anything to do about it. Don't talk too much now. Just get on with the show. I hope I don't need to explain that you're listening to a new kind of radio program, a sort of variety show of stories. Our sponsor is Lady Esther. I'm sure everybody knows Lady Esther face powder and Lady Esther face cream. But there'll be music, too, of course. Tell them that. Yes, and also, ladies and gentlemen, I'm really not responsible for these interruptions. Well, tell them who I am. The voice you keep hearing, if you hear it, belongs to Jiminy Cricket. Tell them I'm your conscience. Well, as I was saying, this new radio show of ours is also a kind of radio almanac. We're going to celebrate some famous birthdays and commemorate some interesting events. Just for example, Jiminy, I wonder how many of our listeners know what day it is tomorrow in Mexico. Why, it's the same day as everywhere. Wrong, it's the 4th of July, it's Independence Day. It is not the 4th of July, it's just plain old 16th of September. Well, that's a big day south of the border, Jiminy, and tonight's a big night in Mexico City. I think people would like to hear about it, so I've asked one of Mexico's very distinguished citizens to come here and tell us about it. Jiminy, you just sit quietly here on my shoulder, and let's have Dolores Del Rio tell us about the 16th of September and... El Grito. My children, I was thinking that on the hill over there, we might have a vineyard. And down below, where it is more level, we could plant olive trees. You mean, Padre, we would have these things for ourselves? If we grew them, they would be ours. But, Padre, these things are forbidden. Come, let's forgive it. My son, we need not depend on the government of Spain in Mexico City. And so they planted the grapevine and the olive trees, and they brought in the silkworms, and they built their little factory. Uh, did they make a success of it? For a while. But then the soldiers came. How is it, Algo? What do they say? They say it is against the law. They say it is forbidden for the villagers to raise crops in competition with Spain. The blood of the great ones is to be our father. What can we do? What can we do? We can wait. We can go strong. Strong? To have what is ours and to hold it, we must be strong. We? Padre, who are we? We are the people. <laughs> So Father Hidalgo began to plan with our Mexican people for an uprising. Say, Mr. Wells, you ought to point out just how much this is like our own American history. You don't need to point it out. Yes, you were a British colony and we were Spanish. Mexico wanted to be free just as much as you did. Sunrise, 130 years ago tomorrow. Mexico's Liberty Bell, the bell of Hidalgo's parish, called our people to their church and their priests and their revolution. That is our bell, my children. It is ringing for our freedom. It is a call, a cry. God, strengthen us. Nuestra Señora de Guadalupe, stand by our side. Viva la independencia! Viva independencia! Viva Mexico! Viva Mexico! That's what we still call it in Mexico, the cry. And tonight, the biggest crowd you can imagine is massed in the great plaza in Mexico City, waiting for the greeting, the cry of liberty. The president gives it now, the president of the free Mexican Republic. He shouts, Viva Mexico, 
and rings the same old bell Hidalgo rang in 1810. Everybody shouts, Viva Mexico after that. And everybody shoots off fireworks, just like you do on your 4th of July. They have the same things to celebrate. What happened to Father Hidalgo? The government of Spain finally stopped him. But of course, they never stopped his revolution. Did you know that 50 years before Lincoln, he signed the first emancipation proclamation on this continent? He was a good man. He was one of America's great heroes of democracy. Say, Jiminy, since this is the night of the greeter, don't you think it'd be a good idea to send a very good neighbor our greeting from up here in the United States? It sure would. All right. Senores, senores. Senorita. Hey, wait a minute. You're not going to make a speech. Well, just a few words. Well, why not do it like this? Viva la independencia! Good. Viva la independencia. Viva Mexico! Viva la Mexico! Hey, Mr. Wells, you ought to thank Mr. Loris Del Rio for telling us about the Grito, and you ought to tell the folks that Pedro de Cordoba played Father Hidalgo and Bernard Herman wrote the music and conducted it. And, and why don't you tell them more about our new radio show for Lady Esther, about the guest stars you're going to have next week, like, like Ruth Gordon and Betty Field and Joe Cotton and Ray Collins and... Uh, hey, wait a minute. Maybe you'd better not. There's just time for the last story. Uh, sorry, Benny. Benny Herman, just a minute. Ladies and gentlemen... This is a half-hour show, and it suddenly turns out we've got time to spare. Now, this may sound rehearsed, but believe me, it isn't. And here's the way it is. Uh, we've got a little love story we're going to do for you, but now it works out that we've got some time for music. Well, sitting right here in the studio is one of the best music makers in the world, Mead Lux Lewis. Certainly the most powerful exponent of boogie-woogie there is. Go ahead and expound, Mr. Lewis. <laughs> Now it's time for our story. 
What a whale of a bloke she was. Me in a first-class cabin, an odd face now to be finding Don O'Flynn and feeling no better for the fun of the night before. Donnie, me boy, you've been shipped away in his eyes like an old maid's dream. You're dishonored forever, Don. Old oh, He's a drink taken, and there's none to listen to you. Is there anything you want, sir? There is, Stuart. Where the devil are we? In the bay, sir. Big gob, if it's a bay, it's don't like now half of the ocean. Or is it a bay now beyond the western isles, where the waves dance from the four corners of the world? It's the bay of Biscay, sir. Then I'll be having a beer. Sorry, sir. Bar's shot. You don't tell me. Then it's a stir outside in the wind and rain. It'll be doing me good. So I found my way below and splashed through to the immigrant saloon. Checked and posed they were with a very unhappy lot and sent to the To one side of the steward's pantry was a solemn Jew man in a frock coat and one of them spoiled caps, staring at nothing in the world. He moved his lips. And deciding that the girl in a blue sweater in the skirt. And she was reading. Good morning to you. And uh, have your beer. Uh, drop the bottle, sir. I'll have dropped me, boy, and would you be taking one with me? Thank you, sir. And the lady, too. Will you have a beer, Mum? Uh, drop of what you fancy. Thank you, but I don't drink. Ah, uh, and what did you say to that? Well, now, will your reverence take a beer? The gods is an unsociable ship. He didn't understand you. My father speaks hardly any English. Like me granddad, but he'd understand if you asked him what he'd take. For it's not often he heard them words, he'd be in the thirstiest man in Colorado. Will you take a beer? Oh, what a skip. There oh, she I... goes over on a side again, and your old man with her. Here, bring her up for his head while Sally him out of oh, bed. Father, father. Ah, there he is, made the powerful amount for it. Mr. Fellow, uh, Mr. Gerard, Oh, get me a doctor. A doctor, I'm a doctor myself. It's a seasickness and nothing else at all. Oh, will it pass? Are you sure it will pass? Oh, it'll be easy when it's calm. Is it the first time it's at sea? The first time I've always been at sea. We come from Germany. How do you do now? Would you mind telling me your name? Me only, John O'Flynn. Our name is Piper. I'm Bertha. And isn't that a wonder that they're after leaving Germany and I, Ireland? And we meet in the rainy ocean with no land under our feet at all. Because so long, why does he listen to us? Tell me that. Perhaps he's paid to listen to us. Perhaps he's some sort of immigration agent watching and listening and making a filthy report to the police, huh? Good morning, Perhaps... to you. Oh. Please go. Leave us, leave us alone together. I'm doing what I can. And, uh... How's your father, Bertha? Oh, he's still sick. He cannot eat or get up. Oh, I see him. It's nothing. It will pass. Stay here and talk to me. I will. I'm glad you. What land is that? It's Africa. With Negro slaves. And they hold now the jewels here that you'll pass no further on your journey. But stop and be the bride of that great king. I would rather be where I am. Then I would not be changing places. With any king in the wide world. Do you know all the lands we passed? There's always a great reader and many's the beating I had for it. Not the old man at the hide off me for not attending to sheep with Father Darnley for not attending to the book. Ah, now that I think back on it. Connemara is the place you belong. Connemara with a green wind and a white village and the soft rain that drifts inland like smoking sea. So that is why you came down to the third class. You have been poor yourself. You like simple people. And what more would I need to bring you here but the sight of your future? But you didn't know I was there. To be sure, I did not. But it was the sorrow of my heart to leave an island. The thirst was on me, the float of the ship, and the saints helped me 
It was the barrel of beer that brought me to the third class, no other thing at all. Have I no beer at the first class? Several a drop. You expect me to believe that? That we cattle down here can get something that you cannot... You what cannot harm us. I wouldn't be wanting to be. We are not afraid of you. We are free. Nothing can happen to us now. Nothing anymore. Nothing. Oh, it's a long voyage and the young girls are chanting in vain. But I should not have been telling her that I came for the beer. Ah, oh, well, she's over the den. So I might as well speak with a ship's doctor about her old man. Uh, taken too long to get on his feet. We'll have him up in an hour. I know these cases. Have him on every voyage. Nerves, that's all. That it is won't do it, so will you shock. Shock? What do you mean by that? Always works. We'll scare it out of it. You! You, Michael! And uh, this is Miss Michael. Captain wants to see you, Michael. Come on up with you. What is it? What has he done? We've got a wireless. We're not going to let you land. And I guess you know why. All right, on deck in five minutes, Michael. Come on, Flynn. I'll be staying here a bit. As you like. Why don't you go? Why shouldn't I stay? If he goes on deck, he'll be the death of him. Leave him alone. Do you hear me? Leave him alone. What do you want? I'll give it to you. Just leave him alone. I had not ashamed to be talking to Stand up now. Do what I tell you. Go to the cook and turn your own eyes on him and ask him for an ounce of sugar and a teaspoonful of baking powder. What do you mean? You're no doctor. I am. I am in a manner of speaking. No. The sheep I treat the most. Sure, if you saw one stand on his hind legs, you'd know it was only human like the rest of us. Be off with you now. I will not. I shall be in debt if I have to carry him on my back. I know you only want a chance to save you with this obedience. The devil is in the good. Now will you listen? The doctor is after telling you, your father, you must see the captain to the lie. Though the god the shock would have cured him for the tea sickness he had, but it's not the tea, it's his stomach. What would you know about it? I know, or a sheep, or a pig, or a horse, or a saint from heaven, and he's seasick, he'd be breathing fast and slow and dirty. It's what they call acidosis, he has. Ah, sure, if he hasn't murdered her eyes, it's crying they are. Will you go to the cook now and get a teaspoonful of bacon powder and an ounce of sugar? Give it all to him in one whoop. Keep him quiet and you'll be better before you. But you'll come and see him. That I will. Frank five that afternoon, the old man was feeling fitter considerably than before he took that. Maybe you have a doctor. Pardon me. Uh, will you have the kindness to tell us, please... Whether it is your purpose to practice in brother? Uh, it is not my purpose. Uh, it is the curse that is on me. God help me, I'm the biggest fool in Ireland. And uh, I'll be off with you, and uh, let you not be troubling his reverence before I'm talking him with no strength to his own. He's praying for Very kindly of him, but now he should be speaking. Tell me, do you know that we are Jews? Jews, is it? Well, this is no wonder they say in the Irish of the 13th tribe. Or is it the 12th? The garb I miss countless tribes and holy apostles. All I know is the 13th is unlucky. What is the curse that is on you? Did something happen to you too to make you leave your country? But it's like this, Billy. A little dark man came to my house and him telling me that he would spend a great fortune to raise sheep in Brazil and begging me to work with him. I will not, says I, for what would I be doing in India? It is not India, he says. It is America. Then you go to my uncle, says I, who was in Wyoming, and he's a good man of the sheep and stuff, so he told me to South America and pressed a thousand pounds in the hand, but it would not take it. Will you come with me as far as Dublin, Mr. Pliny? I will, that I said. 
for you to spend his little man and see what his money got to give him. And when the two of us had drunk three parts of all the whiskey in Dublin, he would have me come to London and drink French wine. And how many days we were in London, I must remember. But I signed me name to a paper, and when the drink had passed me, I found myself in a first-class cabin on the raging ocean, with all the money in the world in his pocket. And it your contract. But this is terrible. It's criminal. <laughs> it was, surely. But there's no fool that I am, after all. Who would not a man be glad to leave his country for a sight of yours? Then he'll come for thee, brother, Daniel. There's only a week before we land, but it will be a happy week for us. Let you not be talking so busy. Would I be telling you of your eyes and your hair and the shape of you like a young tree and its heavy with fruit? And would I be kissing you in the dark places till I was drunk with the scent of you and the white skin that is of a queen, surely? And would I let you go then? And you the world's wonder and the love of my heart. I will not be parting for you and his reverence. I will not tell you. Oh, it's a poor bargain I have to offer you with no country of my own. And no women to greet in the street saying, There goes the beauty that is the wife of Donald Finn. But let you have patience for the two years. And you'll not be lonely. I will not go. But if I do not go with you, I shall be lonely till the end of my days. And the women crying the pity of me. Hey, Mr. Wells, you ought to tell them who played in that story. You ought to tell them that Bertha was played by that beautiful movie star, Osa Masson. And you ought to tell them that Jeffrey Household wrote the story. I don't need to now. Uh, here we are at the end of our first broadcast for Lady Esther. Believe me, a grand sponsor. I don't have to tell you how good Lady Esther face powder and Lady Esther face cream is. Are. Uh, are. Thanks, Jiminy. Ladies and gentlemen, we do hope you're going to like our program. And we hope you'll let us come to your home to entertain you next week at the same time. Till then, speaking for Lady Esther and everybody in the Mercury Theater, I remain, as always, obedient to yours. And me too, Jimmy From now on, I remain obediently here. Columbia Broadcasting System. KFFO dialed at 560 San Francisco.